0: I'm going to read first and start off here uh, just a, a simple worship here, uh, reading here, out of Isaiah 63, verses 7 and 9. And it's just, just a reading that I, I came across in my time of study this week that just really spoke to my heart. There's a couple of verses specifically, and this is one of them. It's, it says, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord. And the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and in the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. What an incredible set of verses there. I mean, if you haven't gotten into the Old Testament that often, eventually in the next few years, we will get to the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, I think, is going to take us longer than I ever imagined. But, but I encourage you to have this coming new year a, a system. If you need help, we want to help you to, so that you have a plan starting January 1st today, a new year, that you're just going to make a, a goal, a commitment to, Read starting with Genesis, or there's a couple of other plans I I hand out, encourage you, a seven-day plan as well, that you would take the time and you would read through, just read through the entire Bible in one year. And just that is your goal. and, And if you want to start with Genesis and you read however how much you can that today, read through Genesis, make a little marker on it, and then tomorrow you pick back up where you left off and you read a little bit more, and eventually. 365 days later, more like you've already completed the entire Bible. Now, if you've done it and you want something different, I have a seven-day plan, which puts you each day of the week at a different part of the Bible, and so that you have a variety through the week, and then all of a sudden, by the time you're done, you've completed the entire study. It's just a tremendous blessing, and I encourage you to do so. But with that, if you could open up your first reference today, will be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 and 7. Galatians 4, 3 and 7. See, last week we celebrated. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You saw that in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. We once again this Christmas season, we celebrated God's arrival in the form of a new baby. The Savior of the world. And God made himself present to all of us. And we see that many in the world acknowledged this baby boy born in Bethlehem. And many people sang it. Many people have it demonstrated or displayed in their house we saw it throughout everywhere we turned that we see that this baby born baby boy was born in Bethlehem and his name was Jesus and we celebrated his birthday this past week but then many stopped right there Many stopped, and they recognizing, yes, this baby was born, and his a birthday, and his name is Jesus, and born in Bethlehem. Oh, this is so great, but look at all my presents under the tree. What they did is they stopped there, and they didn't think about his personal pres- presence in your life personally. They stopped, and you, you may have stopped right there at those presents that you opened and, and were so thankful for. And grateful for for what God had put on the hearts of people to show their love to you for that they had for you. But we needed to stop. We couldn't, you shouldn't be stopping at the presence, but we should be continuing to look forward to His presence throughout this next coming year. It's a new year for us. The past is the past, the past doesn't have to dictate your future the things you could be regretting now, the things that you wish you hadn't done or wish you should have done, and all these things that can go through your head during this period of new year, that can be in the past. And you can look forward to of what God has for you in his presence for the future. We will take a look today at three questions to refresh our minds and hearts of the importance of being in his presence this new year. And those three questions are these. Why did Jesus come? Why was he born? What did Jesus do? And where did he go? Now, we're not going to take those in totality, but for a message of a New Year's message, we will cover enough to get a sense and a flavor of where we're going from this in regards to how we should be moving forward into the new year. But why did Jesus come? We see this in Galatians 4, verses 3 through 7. It says in verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Then, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So we'll take these just a few verses here. And we have to take a look, and let's bring it down simplistically on some of the things to highlight for us. So why did Jesus come? Very simply, because he loves you. It's very simple. He desires a personal relationship with you. It's that simple. And we can hold on to that. As we go into the new year and the uncertainties that lie ahead of us, we move into the new year with a sense of of faith and the deep faith that we need to have and trust that God is in control of your life because you have this personal relationship. And the fact that he loves you, he has this plan for you and I. He's got it all worked out. He knows everything that's going to play out already, but The challenge that you and I have is the fact that it requires faith as we move day by day and according to that plan. We get ahead of God in so many times. We actually live our lives sometimes like God isn't in control, that we're supposed to be in control. And when we're not in control, which is most of the time and most of the day, we come unglued at times. At least inwardly. Sometimes outwardly we've got that all taken care of, but inwardly we're really actually very fragile certain days. But we see in verse 3 the elements of the world keep us in bondage. These elements that is referring to here, if you look further down, as we saw in verse 5, these are the elements of, of the referring to the law. God has had come because people were in bondage to the law. They were a bondage tradition. They were bondage to the things of this world that says that you must act and live and be a certain way, and that they try out of their own strength to do it, and they were unable to do it. See, we have a whole year to reflect, don't we? We can look back and say, oh, remember in, when we celebrated the start of 2016 that we had all these grandiose and all these things and we knew this is what was going to happen. This is what's going to be. This is what... And then we look back at it now in the starting of the 2017 and we look and go, none of it happened. It, well, it happened, but it didn't happen anything like we thought. Have you, are you with me? Are you, are you tracking with me? It's great to know that I'm not looking at a bunch of people who celebrated all last night and have tremendous hangovers that you're sitting here. No, you're actually refreshed. You're you're alert. This is good. But the world would keep us in bondage. You know, if you just look at the law itself and understand that the basic foundation of society must be the law. Any society that ignores the foundational principles of the law will crumble will weaken and will eventually will be destroyed from within. And so we look in this past year and we go, oh my gosh, look at the trends and the things. We're, we're becoming a, a lawless society that people make up the, their own rules every day as they go because they what's going to benefit them. Your commitments didn't follow through like you were hoping to. You said you were going to do something, but you didn't do it. That they, someone said they would be there for you. They left you. Those who thought that you, they loved you, they, they turned on you. And we can go on and on. Oh, I'm going to have the strength and the ability and the health to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to climb and do a triathlon, climb a mountain. This, and you end up having emergency surgery. I mean, we, don't even, we come to this point in our lives, we have to understand that there's things that come against us, things that if, if there's law and order, there's, there's, there's decency and order, there's, there's God's ways and there's the world's ways. And, and depending on how we look at those things and, and what we follow and how we get our mindset can cause us to become very uh, weak and crumbled and fragile and destroyed within, not only within society, but within in your own life. The problem is, is that the law tells us what to do, but it does not give us the power to do it or to live it. And it says right here in verse 4 also, it says, but when the fullness of time, or at just the right time, Jesus Christ came to this earth to purchase or to redeem you and I, or redeem those who are trying in their own might, their own power, their own way to keep the law or to keep this life going. But they're powerless to do it. They just know they're supposed to do it, but they can't do it. They've tried and they tried and they tried. Like the little engine could, the little engine could. It just... But you just keep coming back down the hill. Doesn't that get frustrating? But we will see the answer here that God has given us. He has given us a gift, a free gift, to receive the adoption as sons and daughters of God. We can be adopted. The Son of God came as a baby, and His mission was to take our position on the cross of Calvary in order that we might, in turn, take the position as sons of God. Now that's incredible. We didn't become sons of God because of the adoption; we were become sons and daughters, and then we were bringing as an adoption or adoption is not as the means of coming into entering in God's family, but because of our, our of our position now as sons and daughters, we are in the family. He, Jesus says to Nicodemus in John three, because he was questioning, "How do you become this?" Part of the family. How do you have this relationship and personal relationship? How does this all work with God? And he made it very simple to Nicodemus. He says to be able to enter into God's family, God's family only by being born again. You must be born again to be able to be in the family. And because you are an adopted son, it speaks of your now privilege and standing within God's family. I'll give you an example. Let's just take company AYZ. Multi-billionaire. He's worked his whole life. Him and his wife worked, worked, worked to create this incredible company and become billionaires. But at the end of his life, his aged life, he never had children. There was no heir to the family business. So he turns and he looks and he sees this incredible young man that, has, that he doesn't even know. Maybe peripherally, maybe he worked at the company, maybe not. But this 24-year-old man, all the credentials, you know, he, he was, he's just a good young man and he's just a decent young man. And he comes to him and he just says, I'm, I'm going to die. I need an heir to, this, to my company. Would you like to be adopted into my family? It's a choice. Would you like? And if you do, you have access to the corporate jet. You're on the board of directors. Take a vacation to to Tahiti. Go wherever you want to go. All the money, all the resources are available to you. How would that, what would you think if you were that 24-year-old man? The young man trying to start off his own career trying to get going, and someone comes in and offers a free gift of an ability to say, I would like to adopt you. Would you like to be adopted? And the 24-year-old just has to say yes. There was no, nothing he had to earn it, nothing he could do for it. He was asked, would you like to be a son of mine or a daughter of mine? And by saying yes, you are now in a position of an adopted son, and you inherited all the riches. That is what has been given to us. Once you're born again, you're an adopted son, adopted, adopted, adopted daughter of the high king. And now you're in the position to inherit it all. The moment you were born again, you were placed in an adopted state as heirs and as sons of God, as a full-grown man, as a full-grown woman. You didn't have to grow up into this. You didn't have to wait to mature into this. You were automatically put in as an adopted son or daughter as a grown-up. Now an heir to the riches of the Heavenly Father. And you and I have as much right to be blessed and used by the Lord as in any great Christian or theologian out there today. Once you're born again, you're adopted in like an adult, a mature Christian, and you have all the heirs, all the riches to the heir of your heavenly father. You don't have to get born again and then say, well, God won't bless me because I'm still a baby. I just got born again. No, no. All the blessings are now given to you. Oh, I just got born again. I have to wait and, and, and grow up. And once I've been a Christian and I've done something for God, like, you know, I've led 20,000 people to the Lord, then maybe I'll be blessed by God. No, that's not how it works. When you're born again, you're adopted immediately into the family of God and all the riches, all the blessings, all the protection, all the identification, everything is available to you that moment. You and I get to live in freedom because we're part now of God's family. And you couldn't earn it. You just was offered it. You just accepted it. Isn't that a blessing? Do do you understand that in the new year, you're blessed. If you're born again, you're blessed. And you'll continue to be blessed. And not only that, if you see in these verses that we're seeing here, and because we're adopted sons there in verse 6, we have been given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our hearts. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives within you. And because of that, we can now cry out to God personally, saying, Abba, Father. And the Hebrew word for um, Abba means Papa or Daddy. You can personalize your relationship with your Heavenly Father when you're born again. And not only can you sit there and say, Dad, Papa, Abba, I need to talk to you. But because you're His son, because you're His daughter, He hears you. He listens to you. He responds to you. Because you're a child of his. If I'm in the middle of a study. My wife and my children can, can come in and talk to me and ask me anything they want at any time. Why? Because they're my children. My wife. It's a relationship. It's a, it's a family. They can stop me at any point. But we can come and ask. And he will respond to you and I. And even in verse 7, look at the wonderful results that are promised to you and I. We are no longer slaves, but now sons. And as we cry out, Abba, Father, prayer in the Spirit, the Spirit is working in and through us. In order to bring us into the harmony with that perfect purposes of our Heavenly Father. The Spirit of God is ministering and and working. that Our hearts, our minds, everything about us is in line with our Heavenly Father. The Spirit of Jesus in me and it's in you is crying, Abba, to bring us into unity with God's perfect purpose and plan for your life. And it happens at the moment you give your life to Christ and you're born again. You now cry out and he starts working in your life that perfect plan and purpose for your life. He doesn't keep it a secret for you and I. And if you're asking yourself today, what is the new year going to be like? There's no longer do you need to ask that question. You just need to start communion, communing with, co- communicating with your heavenly father. Because the spirit inside you will bring to light that perfect plan and purpose for your life. And as he reveals that to you day by day by day, you just live, into, live in that. And you're content. And then peace and joy fills your life. Day after day after day. Turn now with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 and ele- through 11. And we're going to answer the second question which is what did Jesus do? Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11, and I'll read them and follow along. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the uh, likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name, and that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now when we take a look at these verses, we see the fact that in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul talks about Jesus willingly submits or submitting himself to the plan of his heavenly Father. The Father is giving him direction. He is submitting to those directions and he lives that out here on this earth. And Paul tells us we are to have that same submitted mind as well that we see here right in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now that is a very important verse right there for you and I. Because in the new year, we want to continue to study the word of God and study the life of Jesus so that as we see how he thought, how he thinks, and how he worked with people and played things out, we want to have that same mindset. We we have to be the one that changes the way we think. We don't sit there and tell God to change to fit what we want. Do you understand that? Because if you did that in 2016, did it work for you? How did it work for you? It didn't work for you. It made you very frustrated and very insecure and unstable in your own inner life. But also you surrounded yourself was also with other people that caused it even more to become uncertain for you. That's what happens. When you think a certain way, you start getting people around you to think a certain way. And that's, all, that's the only people you th- hang around with are people who are like-minded. But the unity comes when we're all focused on becoming like-minded with Jesus Christ, who then unites us as one, as one body. Do you see that? Because as soon as you take your eyes off of Jesus and not wanting to be like-minded, you're not wanting to be in line with the scriptures, you will gradually walk away from those who are and find those who compromise or don't want anything to do with God. You will drift away. You will find another group of people who are like-minded. And it will cause confusion for you. But here Paul, even the scripture is telling us that we're to be like-minded with Christ Jesus. That is so important for us. Because now we see in these verses some of the most important scripture that you and I can read. It's one of the most theological important section in all of the New Testament right here. Let me bring these together for you and I. First of all, Jesus says in John 10.30, he says, I and my Father are what? Are one. He says in John 14, 9, what does he say? He says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. So he's declaring he's equal, he is one. Well, here in verse 6, he says that there was not robbery for Jesus to claim equality with the Father. It wasn't robbery. He wasn't taking something away from it. He had all the right to claim this. Why? Why? Because he was God. He's part of the Trinity. Even with all the rights and the truth that he is God, he says right here in verse 7 that he made himself of no reputation. Well, take it a little deeper here. Because what in the Greek, in the Greek for reputation means kino. Kino is in the Greek means to literally Jesus emptied out himself. Now, what does that mean to be Jesus emptied out himself? Well, we have to be very careful on this because what did he mean when he says that? Did that mean he, 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 he gave up his divinity? No, that's not what that means. When Jesus came as a man, he was fully divine. He was still God. He was percent still 100% God. But his divine attributes or powers were emptied at that moment in time when he took on the human body or that took on that human nature, and now it became emptied or veiled, or another term, set aside, meaning the human nature veiled over his divine nature, still 100 percent God, now 100 percent man. And it's important that we understand that. It's been come it's become to be called a canoic. And what that means is that there's this this understanding of the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity in light of this kenosis uh, that we see here, or reputation, we read here in Philippians 2.7. So Jesus possessed a full, undiminished human nature, 100% man. But he was also... Possess a full, undiminished divine nature, 100% God. They were not some new nature or, or, uh, um, or combined nature or or uh, fused nature, or all these other terminology that people out there in the theology world tries to say. They are very distinct natures, yet added into the same person of Jesus Christ, but remaining still distinct. And that's very important for you and I to understand that level of theology because not understanding that Jesus having both a divine nature and a human nature is is going to cause some lack of understanding as we continue to study the scriptures how you and I can relate to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. For years being saved, I would sit there, and I would read through the Gospels, just like you and I do. And you study, and you're studying, and you're studying, you're trying to get understanding of how to, 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 to relate, to understand what Jesus is doing. Now, we can gradually kind of hold on to Peter and to Paul, and we can do that, but, but we want to be Christ-like-minded, right? We just read that, right? We don't want to be a Paul-like-minded we don't want to be following Apollos and Paul and Peter. We want to follow who? Jesus. You don't want to follow me. You don't want to follow and heap up all kinds of teachers. Yes, we have 30 teachers on the radio. You don't heap them up. You don't follow them. You're enjoying them and what God is using them to minister to you. But we follow Jesus. And, but then it's hard for us to make that connection to follow him because he's God. But if you understand kenosis here, Philippians two seven, that he was hundred percent God but hundred percent man as well, then you start going down these thoughts here that says, okay, Jesus, he did all these miracles, and he ministered to people as we see. He raised people from the dead. He healed people who were sick. We see the fact that he was—he—he he would stay up all night long and, and pray to his father and seek guidance, and he never fell asleep. He was teaching and teaching, and it was so profound and so impactful on the lives of people. Lives of people people's lives were being changed right in front of them. Such power, such such influence on the people around him and you and I can sit there and quickly say, "Well, of course he's God. Of course he can do those things." Have you ever said that? Come on, give me an amen, a holy grunt, something to acknowledge you've at least said once in your mind that says, "Of course he's God. Of course he can walk on water." Of course he healed him from the dead, or raised him from the dead. He healed him. Of course God can do anything. You understand that you believe that. But take it to the next step of understanding kenosis, understanding God Jesus's two natures—the human nature and the divine nature. Because when you take that and you think that through, that, that that Jesus taught credibly, prayed unbelievable, nonstop, like breathing. He was healed through the you know healed people all the time, as we see in the scriptures. But it was through not his own. Power, but by the Holy Spirit that empowered him to do the work in his human nature. Are you with me? So if Jesus, who took on a body, I mean, think that this is huge for you, that God would come down to his creation level and take on a body of one of his creations, And then live in among his creation. And have a human nature so that he's relatable to you and I. And that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do everything I was just talking about. The same Spirit empowered him to do the work on this earth. Is the same Spirit that is promised to you and I and lives in us to do that same work. Are you clicking with me here? Are you tracking? Because because if you understand that it's God that's going to come in, and if you allow the Holy Spirit to do what He did with Jesus, do with you that He would listen to our Heavenly Father, receive those directions, receive those those um, uh, directives, and then allow the Spirit of God to empower you to live that out on this earth, then you're on track in doing exactly what God has called us to do. But when you think and say that, oh, Jesus, of course he can do those things. He was God. He can do anything. He's so untouchable. He's so unrelatable. I, I don't know. I don't know if I can understand and, and figure that. That's, I'm never going to do those things. So what we do is then we sit there and we look to our left and to our right to humans and say, "Oh, I want to be like that person. I want to m- mimic that person. I want to Well, that's fine if that person's a a great example of following Jesus, <laughs> you know? But you as you're mature, you want to immediately keep your eyes on Jesus. And then allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the things that he's going to call you to do while you're on this earth. Because he did it through Jesus' life, he can do it through your life. Are you willing this new year to allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to do what your Heavenly Father is going to ask you to do? Will you be that immediate obedience, just like Jesus? Are you? Will you? It's a daily walk for you and I. Because remember, Jesus came to the earth. He emptied himself, allowed the, the Holy Spirit to come in and to empower his human nature to do the things that his heavenly father was directing Him to do. He did those things just as a man like you and I do today. We need the Spirit of God to empower us to do the things in this world. And before he did anything, Jesus had to be obedient to his Father, to pray, to seek after, to hear, to listen, and then to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, or nothing would have happened. Take down John chapter 5, verse 19. Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do Nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Take John chapter 5 verse 30. I I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, this is Jesus speaking, but the will of the Father who sent me. Are we seeking after the Father's will for our lives? And are we willing to be obedient to what he's doing that asking us to do in the new year? John chapter 15 verse 5 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me uh, and I in him bears much fruit. And without me, you can do nothing. So I hope in the new year that we get over ourselves and say, okay, you're not smart enough, you're not empowered enough, you're not wise enough, you're not have all the resources enough to do anything of value, of fruitfulness for the kingdom. Apart from God, you can do what? Nothing. And when a person who is serious about loving and serving God understands kenosis Seen here in Philippians 2, he or she will understand that Jesus' life is truly a model for anyone willing to be directed by the Father and empowered by the Spirit. Anyone. And that includes you. If you're willing, if you really want to seek after God in this new year, and you really want to hear from God and then just be obedient and knowing that the power of God, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do those things he's called you to do. He's going to meet you right there to do it. Will you choose to do it? Because he won't force you and I. This is the mind, what we have to have. When we empty ourselves of our rights and our own desires and our own wishes, those fleshly desires, those things that we create in our minds uh, as we're laying there trying to fall asleep, or you're listening to them whatever and reading whatever and looking at whatever, and these things of this world starts flooding in to tell you you need to do this and do that and go here and go where and act like, you've got to empty that of yourself of those things. And line yourself up with the scripture. Having a Christ-like mind so that you do not do or spend resources and time and energy on anything that is not of value. But only what God is asking you to do. Because when you empty yourselves of your rights, where we became servants. Literally, as we see here in the scripture, become bond servants. A bond servant is a willing slave. Your first might have been a slave, but at a point in time, you become, based on a decision, your master will come to you and say, "You are free now. You've served your term. Whatever purpose, you're no longer a slave of mine. You have the freedom to go." Or you can choose to be a bond servant here, and I continue to be your master. And if so, they would take and they put an earring in that person, and that would declare to everyone this person was a willing slave to this master. Are you a willing bondservant? A willing slave? Do, will you will have in 2017 that kind of a mindset? Because if you are, you're going to be a great on track. You're going to have a great 2017. But it's going to be a challenge for you and me. Because it goes completely against our flesh. Why? Because when you look at and understand what a slave is and we realize what that means when we say, yes, I want to be a bond for Christ, then you understand that the struggle in our mind will come because slaves are not noticed. Slaves are not thanked. Slaves are not invited to dinner and gatherings. Slaves no longer are complimented. No one applauds them. No one acknowledges them. They want you to be as quiet and inconspicuous, just come and go, take care of what you've got. That's what a slave is. And they're expected to do their work and not be seen. That is how the master or the people around them who you're, they're serving wants them to be. That is a very difficult mindset for you and I. We want to serve God. We want to serve our families. We want to serve our children. We want to serve at work. We want to serve in our communities. We want to serve in the church. We want to serve those things. But so many times our mindset is, I want recognition. I want applause. I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to do it when I want to do it, the way I want to do it. That's not a slave. That's not someone who is submitted and willing to do what God's called them to do without any applause or recognition or, or anything to benefit from them. Because if you're looking to get benefit from something, then it's, you're really not serving. Because what you're doing is, oh, I'll do that as long as I can get this. Oh, I'll go there and do that as long as I get to do what I want to do. That set of mindset is not of Christ. That is the wrong mindset. It's not like-mindedness when you think that way. So why would anyone want to have this kind of mindset where you have to empty of yourself, die of self? Why would you do that? Well, continue to read in verses 8 and 9. It's because we are to be humble. Peter said in 1 Peter 5:6, 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. The reason why we die of self is because he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will take you to places of great heights you never even, even imagined in your own mind. If you'd let him. If you exalt yourself and demand to be recognized and push your way up and to do whatever you want to, do, to be to do, you will be humbled. You strive to obtain, you will strive to maintain. It's only a matter of time you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted by God. And Jesus is our perfect example. God exalted Jesus because Jesus humbled himself by becoming a slave to the point of death of all humanity. And because he was willing to die on the cross for all of humanity, he was exalted. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is where God is. That's where Jesus sits there. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he intercedes for you and I. The Spirit of God comes in and lives within us to empower us to do the things that we're talking about here. That's why you can... Die yourself and empty yourself and stop demanding that you get your way. You serve God and you do not serve yourself or others. You serve God and He will exalt you and empower you to do it. Even in verses 10 and 11, you notice what happens. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, so many times, people say, everyone's going to heaven. And I hear so many Christians say, no, not everyone's going to heaven. But they do. If you read the scriptures, they all do. All of them are going to be in front of Jesus, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. And if you did not do it on this side of the grave, you will not be staying in heaven. You're going to hell. So it doesn't mean when we see those verses every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That doesn't mean everyone will be saved eventually. No. There's going to be a time when everyone will see Jesus in heaven. They will must bow their name. Even if they would not bow it on this earth they will bow in front of him. But that doesn't mean they're staying there. Because we know the scripture don't we? Because many majority Because they're not willing to bend the knee here, they lost their opportunity to be in the presence of God for eternity. The scripture is very clear. Even in Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 9, we studied. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But if you haven't, then you're not saved. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that at times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you see what happens when you acknowledge that you're in a state where you don't want to be and you shouldn't be? And that you want to repent of those things. You want to go do 180 degrees. You want to change. You want to be converted. You want to be born again at that moment. So that, A, we can see very clearly at the end of verse 19 of chapter 3 of Acts that the, there was going to be refreshing that comes in your life when you have the presence of God in your life. You must confess Jesus is Lord on this side of the grave. And I know. There are times when you first get saved or you've been walking, you know you've been struggling in your walk. And you get to a point and you've come Sunday after Sunday and Sunday you're serving and do all kinds of things. And you struggle in your mind, am I saved or am I not saved? Am I going to go as God pleases, not pleased? Remember, he loves you. If you're a child of his, he is pleased. He loves you got a plan for you yes you might be struggling but if you might come to a point in your heart and acknowledge in your heart and has confessed in your mind or confessed with that tongue of yours as we see here in this verse that the fact that yes you know you you've been messed up you know you haven't been perfect you know you've struggled in your walk with christ you know you've made mistakes You know you've failed big time. You've known you've kind of caused some really bad problems. But you believe in your heart that Jesus is your Lord, the Son of God, who died for you. You absolutely believe it. Then you're saved by faith you're safe by faith alone, in Christ alone, then you have security forever. You know you will be in the presence of God when he decides it's your time. Breathe for me. Breathe in and out and celebrate this coming 2017. 2017 that you have security in Christ and you can start moving forward. Forget the past. It's the past. Learn from it. Become more like-minded with Christ. Hang with people who are Christ-minded and watch God give you a new beginning in 2017. Because you want to go where Jesus is. And that's the qu- third question we're going to answer today. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and we will finish with this, these verses. Where did Jesus go? Where do you want to go? Well, we see here in Revelation 21, verses verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write For these words are true and faithful. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You take those verses and you even throw in John chapter 14 verse 3. It says, I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is in heaven. He's preparing a place for his children for you and I. And he is going to come back and take us to heaven. And when that happens, when Jesus comes, we will be in his presence for eternity. Now it's not hard for you and I while on this earth when you're given an option. Would you rather go to heaven or would you would rather go to hell? Because there is no in between. Absent from the body, you're in the presence of What? the Lord. There is no in-between. So when you have an option, would you like to go to heaven or you like to uh, want to go to hell? Because if you're not saved, you're already going to hell. The question is for you and I, who are not born again, would you like to continue on that path to hell or would you like to go to heaven? I, I want to go to heaven. Then be born, born again how do i do that just confess with your confess recognize acknowledge that you're a sinner recognize your you need to be saved recognize that you're a sinful person you need to be saved you need to be forgiven and only jesus can forgive you so call out his name and ask him to come to forgive you of your sins and so that you can be born again, to not just be a follower. You know, there are many during the time of Jesus that were just followers. They followed him around. Many times some of them were doing it because they just wanted the food. Some of them just wanted to see the great things that were happening. People are being saved, healed and saved and lepers. He's gone. Whatever their reason, they just kind of hung around and followed him. But they were not saved. They were not converted. They were not born again. They were just hanging around other people. Until it got really difficult. And what happened? Or it didn't line up with what they wanted to do. What happened with them? They walked away. They left Jesus. They went back to the old world, the old life, the old flesh. But when you with your heart, you really want to be saved. You want to be a child of God. Then ask him to forgive you of your sins. Take that step of faith because that's all it takes. Go to Jesus and he will save you and give you eternal life. But the challenge is when you give an option between heaven and hell, the question is, if you want heaven, is that because you just want to avoid hell? Is that the only reason? You don't want the Potential unknown consequences that hell describe, people describe? Or do you positively just want that relationship to be in the presence of Jesus? Which it means in heaven. Are you trying to avoid something that's going to hurt? Or are you looking to go and want to be with a person who loves you unconditionally? Name Jesus son of God who lives in heaven why are you looking toward heaven do you know many Christians today I find do not have a heavenly minded perspective they want to have fire insurance from hell but they want to still live their life however they want to on this earth and they really don't ponder and think about heaven at all because they still got way too many things they want to do Christ and us need to have the same mind that this is a vacation gone bad. We're going home. Our home is in heaven, and we can't wait to be in the place that He has for us and prepared for us. Because when we put heaven as our goal, that mission, that hope that we hold on to every day when we wake up. That's what will keep us focused on whatever we may be facing in our daily lives this next coming year. It doesn't matter what comes our way. Because our, our focus is, is to do and be obedient what God has called us to do that moment, that day, and ask ourselves, perhaps today you're coming back for me, Lord. I'm ready. So, what is heaven like? Jesus is dwelling in heaven. What is it like? What does the Bible tell us about heaven? And he tells us a lot. But let me give you just a little bit here from our our verses. If you notice in verse 1 here, we notice that things are new. Things are very new, that everything is new there, there's nothing old. There is nothing that needs, it's gonna wear out, it's gonna not not succeed, it's always going to succeed, it's always gonna come to fruition, it is always new, it's going to be good. That we know in heaven. Second thing we see in verse four is that it's a place of pure, unending joy. God Himself will wipe away every tear, comfort every sorrow. Free us of everything that could ever rob us of joy like this world does today. We'll be filled with joy and peace. And not only that, but we will always be in his presence. We see here in verse 3, in his presence, we always being there. There's never gonna be a time where we go, oh God, do you even hear me? God, where are you? It'll never be in, it will never cross our lips because it will. He will always be in our presence. This this verse absolutely struck me. And if you follow um, Facebook at all or or anything, I I posted it because it was so impactful for me. Psalm 1611. It says, tells us, you will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is an incredible verse. I, I know I'm going to be on that verse. It's going to be in my head in 2017. The fullness of joy is it's never ending. It's going to be overflowing. It's going to be beyond what we can even imagine. We think, oh, I'm full of joy today. Oh, can you imagine what that means up there? The joy level, the meter of joy is going to be off the the chart, if there is even a chart of that. But look at also notice that the pleasure, it's not a few pleasures we're having in heaven. It's not going to be a rare moment we're going to have pleasures in heaven. Not just sometimes we're going to have pleasure in heaven. It says forevermore we're going to have pleasure. Pleasure will increase upon us more and more and more all through eternity. Do you think you're going to have, you seek after pleasure on this earth. Up there it's just going to be a forever fullness for us. Because we're in his presence. The third thing about heaven that we learn is that we, he will give us the fountain of the water of life we see here in verse 6. Whenever we're thirsty, we will not. We'll never be thirsty. It will always be quenched. It will always be fulfilling. It will always be refreshing in heaven. John chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Eternity. John chapter 6 verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never what? Thirst. Whatever longing we have in our eternal life, he will satisfy us. And there is no longing we can have that will not be denied. When we have anything in heaven at any point, there is just it's something in heaven. There's like there's a there's something you need. It will be satisfied. There will be never a no from God in heaven. It's always going to be a yes because He is, is our fullness for eternity. And if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, God delights to give you more. In fact, he delights to give us everything. And here in verse 7, he says, we shall inherit all things. How much is all? Anything left over or out out of all? Those who overcome will inherit all things, the scripture tells us. And we will be called what? His son. Not a visitor. Not a next door neighbor. Not one of my uh, children's friends. his son, his daughter. It simply does not get any better than this. What a way to start 2016 recognizing and understanding God has given us a vision of heaven for this new year. That we are going to be children of God and live our lives like we're children of God waiting for him to take us home. We're going to represent him as a child of God. We're going to be obedient like a good child of God. We're going to constantly call dad. We'll have nonstop texting going on. Nonstop communication. It'll be like always there on speed dial. About everything. Regardless of how small it may be in your life or how inconceivable, overwhelming thing it is in your life, he wants you to talk to him about it and let him communicate to you what he has planned for you in that situation may it inspire you to live your earthly life empowered by the holy spirit and pursuit of your heavenly one and have that desire to be in his presence this year